back to Progress Not Perfection. Today's guest is Dan Novak. He's an author that wrote the book Political Acceptance, A Millennial Manifesto, which is, well, we talk about it a lot. Um, we actually also got sober at the same time. We got sober both at 31, and we have not really a similar story, but a lot of similar behaviors. So hope you enjoy the episode. What are you sober from right now? Um, so uh, I... I was drinking, so um, I did AA for about four years. Um, so I just I just passed my four year mark, um, actually about a month ago. So um, yeah, I feel pretty good, really good about that, man. Been a long journey. You said, how did that start? Where we when did you start drinking? Um, I mean, definitely it started to ramp up in college. Um, I mean, it was just, I mean, I, I'm from Wisconsin, so it's very much in the culture. Um, I was just joking with someone before that, like, it's really cheap to drink in Wisconsin because everyone would have a riot if, if it was expensive. Um, <laughs> I was down in Miami, and they were charging, like, $20 for drinks on, on South Beach. And um, my we were just talking about how that would never fly in Wisconsin. They wouldn't allow that, you know, because it's got to be cheap there. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely in, in Wisconsin where I'm from. It's, it's culturally, um, just what you do, you know? So, um, but yeah. So you got into drinking, you got into drinking harder in college. It lead to anything else or were you just like alcoholic, alcoholic? Um, I mean, I, I maybe messed around with some other stuff, but it was, it was drinking. It was what got me, you know, that, uh, for sure. So again, you, uh, give me some, like, what was some of the, um, insanity in your drinking that you didn't see then? That you can see? <laughs> Um, so I guess for me, um, it took a long time, you know, looking back on it, you know, you kind of see the, the mania or like the excessiveness, but at the time it was just, you know, kind of what you did, right. You know, it just, you know, drinking during the week you know, go, you know, shutting the bar down at two o'clock and going to work at like, you know, eight the next morning, like that was just what you did. Right. You know, it's just like, you know, you're having a good time. There's, you know, the regular people would just go to work at, you know, leave at like nine, 10 o'clock and go to work where, you know, I had to, I had to close the bar down, you know, and, um, you know, looking back on it, like, like puking at work the next day, um, like normal, if, like people, normal people don't do that, right? They don't puke while they're at work from drinking the night before. Like, that's just not, like looking back on it, that was stupid. Like, you know, and like drinking while driving, like I, I used to say I should be allowed to do it because I was so good at it, you know, like, um, and like puking on yourself while driving, like normal people don't do that, you know, and, um, Looking back on it, I mean, it's pretty clearly like, you know, it's just, there's abuse here, you know. Normal people don't have like bark bags in their car just in case. Yeah. Ready to go for themselves. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, because I had to, it's funny you said, like, I, mine was pills. Like, I drank hard for 20 years. Yeah. Um, but uh -huh. really, pills like took me like really down a path for 10 years of that. Yeah. Like, all my 20s, really. And I, I would always, I would be driving two hours to get pills and then drive back. 
And uh-huh. while I was withdrawing, I'd be sitting in Philly traffic, like just throwing up into a bag, you know, oh, vile because, you know, I'm yeah. withdrawing so bad and I yeah. need my pills so that I can stop withdrawing. Like, and the insanity yeah. was like, I would have to go and buy, like, uh, and take 120 milligrams of oxy just mm-hmm. to drive back normal. Most people, they take five milligrams of oxy and they're out cold for 10, 10 hours. Yeah. And me, I needed like 100 milligrams just to drive normal, like, and get right. <laughs> you know, we used to say yeah. get right. Yeah. And, you know, feel better again because towards the end of my using, it was like I was only using to, like, feel better. And yeah. to not, I wasn't even getting high. I was just using enough to like feel normal again. And it's part of the insanity. I mean, yeah. I got so. How how old were you when you got sober? Uh, thirty-one. Thirty-one. I was thirty-one and a half. Okay, there I, you I go. was I was like four or five months from being thirty-two when I yeah. put myself in rehab for the first and only time. Hopefully, not nice. some, somewhere. Yeah. Um, but I was just tired of doing that all the time i mean 31 that means you went hard all in your 20s right yeah yeah pretty you know straight yeah for sure was anybody asking you to get sober at all in that time yeah i mean i had a couple people where you know after like the third or fourth person that like it starts to you know the first couple people that say that's kind of stuff like i remember it was new year's and uh i was completely like fucked up and um my brother said on new year's like that night you know it's like it's like two in the morning and i'm destroyed and you know he says to me like i think you might have a drinking problem and i'm like dude it's new year's like chill out man it's it's what people you know it's fucking new year's leave me alone you know like everyone's drunk on new year's it's not a big deal so i you know i dismissed him or whatever and you know i had a girlfriend who uh said i'm breaking up with you because you drink too much and then I, I thought she was being, um, you know, overreacting. Part, part of, part of me, like she was a bartender, and like, I met her at the bar. Like, yeah. I went to her bar, and she was my girlfriend because I met her at the bar, and she knew how drunk I was all the time. Like, she, sur- she was the one pouring me. It was like, yeah, what? Like, you're, you're being ridiculous. You knew how much I drink. Why are you, you know, why is it a problem now? You know, but like, you know, she wanted to get a little bit more serious, and I wasn't, you know. And uh, even she just saw me at the bar drunk. She didn't see me all the other times, you know, not at the bar drinking and stuff. So then, like, I, I just missed that, you know. Um, my now, my father-in-law now, we were on vacation, and uh, I was drinking at like ten, and in the morning, and uh, I didn't think at night. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> on vacation, yeah. it starts when you wake up, bud. I know yeah. that. So at, at 10 in the morning, like we're, we're on vacation and I took some shots and I'm like, and he looked at me like I was nuts. And I'm like, it's vacation. It doesn't, it doesn't matter when you're on vacation, you can drink whenever, right? Like it's no big deal. It's vac- when you're on vacation, you can start whenever you want. It's, you know, not a problem. And he That's just looked at a vacation. Yeah. Like why yeah. else would you go on? Yeah. <laughs> it's like the, it's like the time where you can drink in the morning and it's okay. Yeah. And, uh, so and then like that didn't bother me but then you know i had like a really catastrophe night where um i get i kind of like it's kind of a really long story but like i had like a really yeah so i mean i um the last night i drank 
I went out with my buddies on on a birthday, and uh, I for some reason hate Uber. Like I, because I always like to drive. Like screw Uber, I can drive myself home. Right, I'm gonna you know? be in control of this. Yeah. So, yeah. but at the end of this night, I didn't have my car. Someone else had drove, and we got separated. So I ended up just popping in a car with some random person, and they ended up robbing me. And um, I end up losing, I like lose my phone, I lose my wallet, I like lose where I am, I have no idea where I'm at, I like I get home, and like I lost, you know, hundreds of dollars, like I was unemployed at the time, and like I had spent like a couple hundred at the bar, I don't have a job, I lose my phone, my wallet, like everything, and uh, my wife, I was, I was I'm married, it's, she's still my wife now, and she was like, we're, we're going to be done. Like, am I had a daughter who was like six months old and she's like, like, if you, you're, 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 I'm going to throw you out of the house. Like this is you, you're like, I can't handle being around you anymore. And, um, yeah, it, it was a, it was a screwed up situation. She can't. And then like, like for me, I was like, well, you know, I'll go to AA to, you know, to make her not as mad, you know, like that was my thing. Like, okay, I'll just, I'll go one time, you know, maybe cool it for, you know, a couple weeks, you know, that was my like intention of like going into this thing mm-hmm. and, and um, I'll make my wife happy, you know, hopefully I'll get a job here soon. And, uh, you know, it's kind of turn, turn, turn some things around here. And uh, I was lucky. I mean, cause I, I've gone to quite a few different groups, and some of them are, you know, not the best for whatever. But I happened to find, like, the group that I stumbled into that night. Um, I had this, uh, this. It was weird. You walk into a room, and a lot of a lot of these meetings, they have just a lot of old people. You know, like I'm thir- like I was 31 coming in, and it's just all old timers, right? Like, you go into a room, and it's everyone's above 60. And uh, you know. Luckily for me, there was like, like there was these two guys that were in their 80s and they like kind of put their arm around me. Um, this guy, his name was Ed. And, uh, you know, the, the thing about it is they weren't pushy because I think that they know that yelling at people or like once if you walk into one of those rooms, like, you know, something is screwed up. Like you don't just walk into those rooms like no one wants to be there. Like who walks into there is like. You know, they're not they're, like I didn't walk in there and go, hooray, I'm going to fix my life and everything is going to be good. You know, it's like they they can kind of sense it. So they, they're not going to force anything down your throat. So that's the thing. And uh, yeah, the only people that are there to observe are the nurses that are there for school. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, you know, I run a meeting center, a mental health meeting center. It's like kind of a spinoff of AA. Yeah. And um, I kind of started it because AA was really conservative in my area and they didn't really like the way I was talking. So I started my own. And, you know, someone called me out on my qualifications. They're like, what are your qualifications to even do something like this? I'm like, the same as any alcoholic. The only qualification to go to AA and run a meeting is to be an alcoholic. The only official people ever, like, when we're identifying ourselves, we're going around the room, they're like, hey, I'm blah, 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 and I'm a nurse, and I'm here to observe for class. They're not there to contribute or help facilitate anything. When you're an alcoholic, you run the show, and it's all based on experience. So, you know, it's the same thing. And people don't understand, like, there's no, like, facilitators in those meetings. If you're there, you're spiritually broken. 
And yep. if you get berated when you walk in the door, you're going to turn around and leave and be like, that's not where I want to spend my time. Yeah. You know, so luckily you had a good group that was like welcoming. Because yeah. I've seen the other, I've seen the other side where it's like, they, sh- they like to the shame. They use a yep. lot of shame and, yep. they, you know, shame will come. Let them find a sponsor before you start shaming them. Yeah. Because that the sponsor will work through that in a positive way because there is a lot of shame in what we did. There's a yeah. lot of guilt attached to some of the things that we were doing. And we have to learn how to live with ourselves without, you know, medicating with alcohol or drugs because, like, that was our solution for so long for yeah. any of our problems. Whether it was a victory, you know, for you, it's like, oh, the Packers won or the Packers lost. I'm going to go drink yeah. about it, right? Yeah. Like, that was your solution to all your problems yeah. was drink about it. Yeah. So, like, we have to learn new solutions for life. So berating us is not going to teach us those things. Let us find somebody that is going to be like, oh, that's me. That's my story. Let yeah. me learn more about that person. And then organically, we want to be there. You get yeah. excited to go to meetings. Like, how long did it take before you were like, pink cloud, I'm good to go, I want to keep going? Um, I would say nine months it took me. I um, I remember, I don't know, they call it the moment of clarity or whatever, right? Like, I, I, I was going at first, and I was learning things, and I was feeling better about myself, but I still was, like, not in a good mental space, I guess. And I, I remember very vividly. I was sitting in the same meeting I had been going to for nine months, and this guy, his name was Bob. Um, he he uh, he's in his early, probably early eighties, late seventies. He's actually he was from Brooklyn. I called him Brooklyn Bob because every time he talked, he managed to to bring up a story from Brooklyn. So even though we were in Milwaukee, he'd be like, yeah, this time when I was in Brooklyn, this time when I, so you know, and he was talking about a time where he got, he was drinking and he, he ended up burning his legs. Uh, he got like drunk, passed out and like somehow burned his, burned one of his legs. And um, he was just talking about how he would blame everyone for his problems. It wasn't, it was never his fault. It was always this person left the lamp out or this person did this or this person did this. And, and uh, he was just talking about how he, how he worked through it and how, he never owned up to any of it. You know, it was, wasn't their fault. He got extremely drunk. It was just pat, like completely blacked out, passed out in like an area he shouldn't have been, you know? And as he was talking, I had this, like, I, I had like an epiphany. It was like an out of body experience. And, um, like, at, like I, I remember very vividly just kind of walking out of that, that meeting, just kind of just like, I mean, it doesn't always happen for people this way. And like, like I think a, a little burden was like lifted from my shoulders. And because uh, like you said, like you need help from other people to, to kind of get yourself out of these things. Um, like you're not going to just sit in a room and figure it out on yourself. You'll, you'll, you're, you'll just keep spiraling. You know, you'll keep like being down on yourself, but like hearing stories from other people you're like, you see yourself in those stories. Um, and it, that's, that's seeing your, seeing stories from other people. I don't know why it makes you feel better, but it does for sure. It makes you feel not alone. You know what I mean? Yeah. It makes you feel like 
oh, I'm not the only person that did that, or I'm not the only person that thought that way, not the only person that said that, not the only person that lost that, or got a DUI, or did this anyway, and continued yeah. down. You know, you can feel better about your past when you're relating to somebody else. And it's funny, like, it's almost as if you didn't hit your rock bottom until nine months sober. Yeah. You know, because in my opinion, our rock bottom it has nothing to do with when we stop using or drinking. Yeah. It's when we surrender ourselves to a program or changing our life. Yeah. You know what I mean? That that's when the switch goes off and things start happening for you. Things start changing. You start feeling better. Because mm-hmm. even though you were going to meetings for nine months, you were probably still spiritually broken because you yeah. didn't really want to be there or find yeah. the reason to be there besides not losing your family. And then eventually yeah. something clicks off and you're like, oh, I can have that too? Yeah. How do, how do I get that? How yeah. do you seem so happy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's definitely, I think a lot of people when they get in the program, they're doing it for others. They're doing it for, because someone told them, they said it's a good idea. But to find success in the program, you really have to do it yourself. It, it won't work if yeah. uh, if you're doing it for others. I talk at nauseum about needs and wants, you know, yeah. like I, I went to rehab and I got introduced to AA through rehab and yeah. they kind of trick you because, you know, you're in this you know, house all day long in rehab and the only time you can leave the house is when you're going to a meeting outside the house. So you kind of yeah. get excited to go to meetings because it means you get to leave. <laughs> and so it kind of like played a little mind trick, but it did take me like two weeks before I'm like, oh, that's my story. Yeah. That dude's telling my story and he's three years sober. How does he do that? And, you know, I ended up becoming friends with him and becoming good friends with him and meeting hopping with him eventually because, like, I wanted what he had. And I got lucky that it happened within two weeks. But, you know, a month in or I was I was in it. You know, I was good to go. I wanted to be there and everything. And a girl in my sober living kept relapsing and we're smoking a cigarette together outside. And she just like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I need to be sober. I need to do this. I need I'm like, well, that's your problem. Why do you need it? Well, my parents, I'm like, yeah, that's your problem. I was like, I'm here because I want to be here. I'm sober right now because I want to be sober. If you're needing it, it's for somebody else. It's for your parents. It's for cops. It's for the jail. It's for keeping your kids. It's for somebody else. But when you want it, when you want to be sober, it works. When you work as hard to be sober as you worked hard to get high, it works. You have to just put that same effort into being sober that you put into getting high. Because getting high wasn't easy. And getting, you know what I mean? Like get, finding drugs and getting that and doing all that wasn't an easy task every day for a lot of us. You know, yeah. especially money and how am I going to get the money? How, who has it? How am I going to get that? And, yeah. you know, it's an exhausting thing that you live with every day of like, oh, I'm broke again, but I need $300 to get high today. How am I going to yeah. get $300 today to get high? And I did. I would always find a way. And, you know what I mean? And somebody posted on like an addiction page a few weeks ago, like, how much money would you have if you didn't spend all that money on drugs? And I said, well, it's the question's kind of mute because like, yeah, I spent all the money I made, but also the extra like $500,000 that I spent was all street money. It was all yeah. money that would never make sober anyway. It yeah. was all money doing illegal stuff or things that I'm not proud of. Yeah, you know? exactly. So the, the question's kind of <laughs> irrelevant. Yeah. And, in AA, it was, I don't know about you guys, but it was really weird. In Pennsylvania, they kept telling me, you can't say pills. You got to say alcohol instead. And that was one of their big things with me was to stop saying pills. 
And I was like, listen, my story is that I was driving two hours for pills. Do you really want yeah. me to sit here and talk about my long drives yeah. of exhaustion because I couldn't find alcohol locally? Yeah, Do you want me to say right. that? That's not doesn't make any sense. I'm going to feel dishonest. And yeah. I, this is the whole point of this program is to be honest. So that was one of the yeah. things that, you know, they asked me to stop talking. And because I went to a rehab called High Sobriety. And it's a place that teaches you how to use cannabis as a medicine and not as a drug. So in California, they, you know, Cali Sober is a huge thing and they were very supportive of that. And then in Pennsylvania, they're like, yeah, you, you can't talk about that in a positive way because it's a drug. I'm like, yeah, but people take Xanax in here. People are prescribed Ativan in here. Like, it's a, what's the difference? Well, a doctor prescribes that. I'm like, a doctor prescribed it to me, too. Yeah. And I'm taking it responsibly. You wouldn't even know I'm under the influence of unless I wasn't so forthright and honest about it. Because yeah. I want to run an honest program. And they're like, yeah, but we're just going to need you to stop talking and stop coming. I said, all right, see you. You know, and I did drink again. I drank in sobriety, you know, because my sober date, I'm not changed. My sober date to me is the day that my life stopped being unmanageable. Yeah. And when I drank for nine months, it wasn't alcoholically. It was by the pool. It was to celebrate something. I was literally pouring drinks out, laughing, going, ha, 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 I can pour yeah. it out. They try to trick myself. And then I woke yeah. up with a hangover. And I'm like, never mind. I'm back. Didn't I'm work. done. Yeah, yeah. I, I quit drinking again. Um, I, I thought it would be a cool sober date. 229. Yeah. So leap day yeah. is my sober date from alcohol. Yeah. So I now I don't get a birthday for four years. <laughs> <laughs> And my nice. wife quit with me, too, because she, you know, was an alcoholic as well. And she's like, okay, I'm done, too, then. So we quit together, and then two weeks later, quarantine hit. And I'm like, all right, oh, let's strap in. And I was like, I really miss meetings. I wish we could go to meetings and yada, yada, yada. And next thing you know, we decided to start a meeting center that allowed everybody, whether you're on methadone, whether you have cannabis, it doesn't nice. matter your program, just come and talk sobriety. So yeah. we do mental health check-ins twice a day. You know, we do um, trauma meetings. We do meetings for parents that have loved ones that are in addiction. Nice. Because, you know, like Al-Anon, basically. Al-Anon, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I'm sitting around. I'm like, oh, my God, all these parents are just, like, struggling in this area that we're living in with. Meth is huge in our area. Yeah. And, and we're in a college town, but we're, like, in rural PA. So meth is just being made everywhere with fentanyl in it now. Yeah, and all that's... these parents struggling so i just started that meeting yesterday where they could come in and talk to addicts like us because alanon they don't they don't want us there they don't want the addicts there they just want their families yeah they it's interesting <laughs> some of the groups are more strict than others like i know like at our group we would have like heroin addicts and stuff but like some other groups are very like it's just this one's oh, just alcohol or this one is just this or this which i i like I see, I definitely see that like you should be able to just go to any meeting and feel comfortable there. Like you shouldn't have to lie. Like I, I, I wouldn't really agree with telling you like, hey, you. Yeah, like, and, and and it, you know, it's a personal thing that I'm sure they took offense that I'm speaking so openly about even cannabis. They're like, that's not fair. I can't smoke, and you're saying that you can smoke it. I'm like, well, I don't even smoke it because you're not listening to me. Like, I don't use cannabis in that way. I microdose with little tiny capsules that yeah. is not even like I'm smoking anything at all. Yeah. And again, I you only know that I use it because I'm so honest. I am never stoned. I'm never yeah. here high. I'm never anywhere high. 
Yeah. Like I use it up to get where I need to be, and then that's it, and I move on with my day because I don't. I've accidentally gotten really high because like I've taken too much by accident with like the the, the way that comes out. Yeah. And I was just like, I hate this. I hate everything about this. I want this to be over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so like I don't want to like get hot, stupid high like I used to. That was the whole point of learning how to use cannabis yeah. in a positive way. So. You know, it is what it is at the end of the day. That's people's programs, and they just didn't want to be affected by it. And I, I get that. And yeah. everyone has meetings and these groups that have been around for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah. And it's filled with old-timers. 80% is old-timers. The other 20% is a revolving door of newcomers. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I got the group that I was in was around for, like, 40 years. And... uh you know, they have, they have traditions and things like that. And, you know, they try to be open. I think cannabis is medicine, you know, in our, I think in our lifetime, it'll become more socially acceptable right now. It's still, especially I think in Wisconsin, it, it has, I think it's starting now that Illinois has legalized it, it's become a little bit more or less taboo, but even a couple of years ago, I would say it was still pretty taboo to use even though it, I, it's way, way not as bad as drinking is or anything else. It's like most definitely benign. So I, I always I used to do stand up when I was in addiction, actually, and I haven't done it since I got sober. Um, yeah. And I used to have like a joke about weed was always the innocent bystander on the show cops. Yeah. Like <laughs> weed was always there when, you know, when arrest was happening on cops. But it was always the phone call was, oh, my husband was drinking and he was high on meth and he started hitting me. It was never he smoked a bunch of weed and he started yeah. hitting me. Yeah, it was never. always he's been drinking and he started hitting me. Oh, yeah, there's weed here, too. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it was never that weed was causing anybody to start hitting their wife or yeah. hurting somebody. I've never had like a thought of wanting to harm somebody when I'm under the no. influence. But on alcohol, you get beer muscles, you get yeah. really defensive, your ego blows up, you know, yeah. and you're like a Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're with, a, even if, if you're with a couple of guys, it's like, oh, hey, those group of guys just looked at us weird. Like, what, you know, what the fuck are they doing? You know? And yeah. Let's go shit. find out. Yeah. <laughs> you're looking for trouble. Like, I, I was, when my fiance died and I was 28, I started drinking heavy again. Yeah. It was suicide and it caused me to spiral. Yeah. I was in North Carolina. I couldn't get pills as easy, so I just turned to the bar every day. Yeah. And I was picking fights. I am not somebody that even likes to fight. I'd rather talk with my words, but I was picking fights outside yeah. the bar all the time. I would find reasons to get in arguments with people and want to get in arguments because I was so just angry. Yeah, you were fighting everything. <laughs> yeah, and everyone. And I just had to get that anger out. And so, what do you do? You drink and you yell at strangers, <laughs> you start shit. Like, and I'm I'm so glad that that's not me anymore because that wasn't me. You know, yeah. that's not the kind of person I am. I'm somebody that wants to talk it out, not even get into a fist fight or get into a screaming match because screaming is only a competition of who can get louder and you're not actually hearing the person talk. Yeah. You're just waiting for them to stop yelling so then you can yell back. But you're not <laughs> actually listening to what they're saying yeah. and comprehending. You can hear them. Yeah. You're loud as hell. You can hear it, but you're not listening, you're not comprehending, yeah. and you're not, you know, giving it back. So I'm, you know, so glad I'm beyond that point by now. Um, how how often do you go to meetings now that you're four years in? Um, I used to go 
the first two years I would I'd be probably two meetings a week. Um, and then I went down to one meeting. Uh, I had a couple of people that I you know would talk to on a regular basis. Um, like I mentored a couple people. Uh, so that that kind of connected me to the program with with COVID, it was really tough. Uh, my group that I had been going to every single Sunday for three years basically stopped meeting. Um, so um, I kind of I would I would do every once in a while these online meetings. My friend was in a group that was doing online. It wasn't quite the same for me. I don't know why. It just I missed the tables themselves. Um, yeah, it's something about that room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I feel bad. I, I really do worry about like the state of AA in general, because who knows how many, you know, how many meetings have dissolved because of that. You know, how many old timers just gave up, or you know, um, yeah. And one of yeah, they my weren't, they weren't figuring out Zoom. We both know like they weren't figuring yeah. Zoom out. Yeah, they were just they just said forget it. You know, they've been going for thirty years or whatever, and just say you know what, this is it. So I don't know. I I'm hoping to find. I actually moved too. Um, so I'm hoping to find a new meeting where I'm at now. I actually, uh, I'm probably going to have a job here where I'm I'm just serving as a part-time help person where um, it'll be, um, it'll only be like a 10 hour a week, probably maybe 20 hour a week job where people call into a, um, like a help center that are uh, addicts or addicts. And um, I kind of talk to them on the phone for a bit just to kind of get them settled and maybe help them with like getting resources, talk to them a little bit about like where they're at kind of thing. So it'll be like, you know, four hours that I'll have, um, where people are going to call me on the phone. So I'm going to be working for like a um, government agency here. So um, here in town. So that's they basically, so important. Yeah. Like I, I still attribute me being sober today to somebody answering the phone. Yeah. Like, you know, when I when I decided when I made the choice, like it was 420, you know, yeah. and I was watching a documentary called Legend of 420. And they mentioned this, you know, sober living in L.A. that teaches people how to use cannabis and all that helps you get off opiates. And that was the first time I was like, oh, I would do that. Like that's yeah. something I'd be interested in. And then the next day it was just like a long day of sitting in McDonald's parking lot waiting for my dealers like an eight hour day of waiting and I'm driving back so mad at myself. And I was like, you know what? I'll just Google the number and eight o'clock at night on a Saturday, 5 PM in California yeah. on a Saturday night. And the guy answered and talked to me for two hours. Wow. And nice. I was on a plane three days later. And I know for sure if he did not answer me that night, yeah. I would be like, oh, I tried. Yeah. That would have been your there. one try. Yep. You know, and I would have went longer for another five years. Who knows? I could be dead. Yeah. Because yeah, that's... three months later, fentanyl came around, and yeah. I, when I was three months sober, I used to go to um, a meeting in West Hollywood called the West Hollywood Recovery Center, and I only started going to that because I heard that's where Demi Lovato went to AA meetings, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I love her, and then I get to LA, and she comes out with a song saying, I'm not sober, and I'm like, well, I guess I'm not going to see her. <laughs> and the day I flew back from rehab or the day after whatever, right around there, um, she overdosed and she overdosed on my favorite pills. And it was because they were pressing them with fentanyl. Mac mm -hmm. Miller died from the same thing. They were pressing my favorite pills with fentanyl. And that was a big wake up call for me. I was like, oh, I could just die now. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I was never mm -hmm. close to death with pills. 
because I was always like in control. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I could just do one and die now. Oh, okay. And then like my friend that I got sober with, he did die that that November, you know, and we were both six months sober and he relapsed and he died on his relapse. Wow. And, and that was a big thing for me of like, well, he died so I can live and I am not going to fuck this up. You know, because that's the last thing he would have wanted is for me yeah. to get back into using now and not learn the lesson that he's teaching us. Yeah. And it's such a shame that that's the way we have to look at it. But really, how else can we look at it? You know, we're in yeah. war together. Yeah. They know, we know the odds of making it out aren't good. Yeah. We know that one of us is going to probably die on the front lines. You know yeah. what I mean? You just got to hope it's not you or any of you. But. It, you lose so many people, whether it's they're still an addiction. They don't want to hear from me because they know if they're going to hear from me that it's, I'm not going to be talking to them about getting high. I'm going to be talking about what I'm doing and people don't yeah. want to hear that. Yeah, you will lose friends and you will if you will lose friends. I mean, it's kind of a sad thing to say. Like I, I had I know for me when I quit, I, you know, my my drinking buddies that I did on a regular basis. At first, they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, good, you know, good for you, man, you know, but of course, that's like, I don't want to be, I don't want your contagious germs to, I don't want to fuck my shit up, you know, I don't, they don't want to think, you know, they're just happy in their world, right, they think they've got it in control, and like, like, they don't want that on them, you know, they just, they want to be far. challenge you? I got challenged by my drinking friends, like, you're not an alcoholic, I can, I can out drink you any day, you're not an alcoholic, because I'm not. Yeah, I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to diagnose you, but I certainly am an alcoholic. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Like whether being an alcoholic isn't a contest of who can drink more. No, that's not what an alcoholic is. And but I've had I had three different people that I grew up with that challenged me on being an alcoholic, saying you can't be an alcoholic because, you know, you can't drink as much as me. And it's like that's this is wasn't like this is. Yeah, it was never a challenge. Yeah, (laughs) you don't get it. So, yeah. you know, those it's okay to have people in your life for a certain amount of time. You know, that's yeah, okay. something that I've learned. And I've met amazing people in sobriety that they want what I have or I, I want what they have. And yeah. you get those kind of new relationships instead. And, yeah. You know, some people yeah, don't my, want to get out of it. Yeah. My, some my one friend was like, you know, like he had like, he was like, well, you know, you don't, you shouldn't have to quit forever. Like just, you know just like maybe chill out sometimes, you know, just like, you know, on the weekends or like, you know, just, you know, or like, you know, it's like, okay, well, we're going on vacation. Like, you know, this is, it's okay on vacation, you know, kind of like, like I had a couple of friends who just were like trying to talk me into like, oh, you know, we'll just, how about we just don't, we just drink beer or, you know, we'll just, you know, like just trying to like talk their way through it, you know? And uh, yeah, they just, they just don't get it. They're not in that space. And, it definitely is a spectrum. I mean, there's some people who are way worse than others. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. But I mean, if if you have that like addictive thinking mindset, no matter what your drug of choice is, if you have that like addict mindset, whatever it is, some people it's like clearest day, you know, but some people it's not. And there's more, it's more subtle. And as long as you're, you have that addictive mindset, you're being selfish, you're being self-destructive, you're hurting others. Like, it doesn't really matter where you fall on that spectrum. Like you have problems, yeah. you know? And, and the thing is we're all addicted to the same thing and it's yeah. more. Yeah. 
more. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what I wanted. It was more yeah. of anything. That's yeah. what I needed, and it's what I wanted, and nobody was going to tell me different. It was more and more and more, and that was it. You know, I I always say, like, that was almost my main addiction was more. The thing I loved was pills, but my addiction was more of it. And yeah. there was never enough. I could get 30 pills in a, in a hall and then be like, okay, cool, this will last me. Two days later, gone. I could pick up a script for 120 pills and they're gone within five days. Yeah. It didn't matter how many I was getting. I was, wasn't going to save them. Yeah. I was going to do as many as I could while I was awake. Mm -hmm. And that was it. Like, I, you know, they say you have three loves of your life. I always say pills are my first love. Like, yeah, yeah alcohol, like, you know, a girlfriend. But yeah. pills, like, when I first got into pills, I'm like, oh, wow, I love this. I want this. Yeah. I need this. Like, you know, and I'll do anything for this. And yeah, exactly. it's, you know, now I'm at my third and I'm happy and married <laughs> and I'm yeah. sober and yeah. I get to help people every day. And, you know, I go for, I do four meetings a day. Yeah. How's the, how did you, how did you start the clinic? Like, did you like somewhat like a government grant or you had some money or like, how did it like, what's that? This money and unemployment money. So you got to, that, that was your startup check. money. Yep. That was stimulus your stimulus check and unemployment checks. Nice. And so, yeah, it's not like I'm coming from money or anything, you know, yeah. and people are so afraid to even give donations from businesses to a mental health recovery center yeah. because of stigmas attached to mental health and addiction. Like literally two companies in our town that I called for donations, they're like, yeah, we can't be tied up in what you're doing. I'm like, what I'm doing, I'm helping people. What do you mean what yeah. I'm doing? Like it's a mental <laughs> health thing. Yeah, well, there's, you know, and just like, you know, would drown yeah. off, you know, what they were saying because they didn't have an excuse except for they just didn't want to. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not, you know, it's not like they're helping to save dogs or children. They're helping, yeah. and people don't have compassion for addicts unless you have been affected by it. Like, yeah. unless you or somebody in your family close to you was affected by addiction, you think that we're all worthless. You know, mm -hmm. I have gotten into arguments on Facebook with people that there was somebody that I got an argument the other night that was telling a girl that she needs to be put down. You know, oh, and wow. there's no point of saving her. It's like, yeah. what do you, you don't know. You're like, obviously you're not in recovery. Because yeah. anybody could have said that about me. You, yeah. you don't get it. Like, people can yeah. be saved. It, it yeah. can happen if they wait around long enough for the miracle to happen, you know. That's, yeah. It took you nine months, and then that it happened, you know, and then yeah. you got it, and you wanted yeah. it. And that's an amazing thing. Because what's the other expression they have in the rooms? Um, our disease is outside in the parking lot doing push-ups, waiting for us to mess up. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Heard that you guys said that at all up there? No, no, no that, that's, I haven't heard that one. Yeah, that's, that, that one always stuck with me. It was that, you know, right now we're in, you know, this basement in this church, but our disease is in the parking lot doing push-ups waiting for us to relapse. Nice. And it's no joke. It, it, that's what happens. You know, that's why yeah. my friend died on his relapse, because it got stronger while he was away from it. Yeah. And, you know, heroin these days is not heroin from 10 years ago. There was only yeah. like 10,000 deaths a year from heroin only. But there was yeah. only like 10,000 yeah. deaths a year from heroin. Last year, 70,000. Yeah, it's crazy. Because fentanyl. Yeah. You know, it's the only reason. They're putting fentanyl on meth now so that you, with methamphetamines, you never physically were addicted. You're, yeah. you're mentally addicted and you see psychosis, but you weren't physically in withdrawals like you would from opiates or alcohol. 
-hmm. But now they're putting fentanyl in meth so that you do get physically sick when you're not taking it. Like, did you have to go through withdrawals at all? Um, Yeah, I definitely did. I mean, there was um, a few month period where I I definitely did physical symptoms. And I probably, the, the weirdest symptom I had was I had like crazy dreams, like where I was drunk. Like I'd have a, I I would go to bed, I'd have a dream and I'd wake up and like, crap, I'm drunk. Um, but I, I later learned that these were withdrawal, like withdrawal symptoms. I didn't know that they were, um, yeah, I would have, I mean, they were, they would be so intense. Um, you know, wake up a little, what's that? They're like fever dreams. The dreams are like so vivid. You feel like you are drinking. You yeah. feel like you are using and yeah. like you wake up and you're like, wait, okay, I'm I'm good. I'm still sober. Like I yeah. felt high in my dreams before in a mm-hmm. using dream where like I met with my dealer and it, and it wasn't like I saw his face. It wasn't like a faceless person. I saw it. He yeah. gave me the pills. I did my pills the same way and I felt high in my dream mm-hmm. and I woke up in my bed in rehab. Like what the hell was that? Yeah. Like talk to the therapist tomorrow about that one and yeah. you know how how long do they last for you the drinking ones because drinking i know are more intense than the pill ones because it's more brain, uh, brain stimulant i'm not sure i mean they, definitely for a few months they were very i would say and the thing the weird thing is they didn't happen right at the beginning um i would say like i was at least a couple months away from from when i stopped so it wasn't like I stopped and then I immediately got them. I got them when I, it was like maybe like, it was definitely a few weeks, at least a month after, which was weird. I don't know why, but um, they lasted, I, I would probably say like maybe two months um, were the most intense probably. Yeah, now, I haven't had them in a long time. That's really good. Did, did, when, did when you, I know, I'm sure you brought it up in your meeting, right? When you first had them, like, did you talk about it in your meetings? Um, I actually, I, I did, um, but not, not right away. Um, cause you were talking thought, for a while. Yeah. I wasn't talking too much at the beginning for sure. So, but, um, when someone, see the thing was, I, I was, I didn't make anything of it at the time. I didn't really relate it. I just thought it was like a crazy dream or whatever. Yeah. Until someone else brought it up in a meeting and then I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that this was something that's a, a normal thing that happens. So, yeah. Um, they, they used to say, there's your freebie, enjoy your yeah. freebie. That's what they used to say, at least uh-huh. in my rooms, whenever someone talked about having, you know, a dream for the first time and where they were yeah. high or drunk, they're mm-hmm. like, I hope you enjoyed it. Cause that's your freebie. <laughs> <laughs> like, because it's a way to trick your mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because if we get all in our head, it's the most dangerous place to be is addicts or alcoholics. Yeah it's stuck in our own mind because that's what led us to those things to begin with. So, you know, we always have to be self-aware and have those out-of-body experiences where we can be critical and self-critical in a way that's positive and not self-critical that's going to be detrimental to ourselves. Yeah. Um, One of my favorite sayings, there's this guy who, um, he he lived in Louisiana, but he had family in Milwaukee, and every summer he would come up and uh, for a couple of weeks, he would spend time in our meetings. And he had an expression that I that I loved, uh, which was, um, you you can sober up a horse thief, but there's still a horse thief. So what that means is that even if you you know stop 
for you know a couple of months or whatever, there's there's still a horse thief. They still have problems. You know, you have to kind of tackle those issues before you can actually be like a decent human being. You know, like just quitting, like for whatever number of you know time. You know, a couple of weeks, a month or two. You know, that doesn't that doesn't change who you are. Yeah, you, you have you have to do some more work. Um, yeah, you have to find like why was I drinking like that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, what was that reason? And this way you can pinpoint it for the next time. You have to learn acceptance. Yeah. I mean, my favorite step still to this day is the fourth step. Yeah. And I feel like having a fourth step and a strong fourth step, like it gets me to acceptance a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I catch a resentment, I- I'm immediately in my head, not even finding paper or pen. I'm like, fuck it. I got to break this down. I don't have time yeah. to get paper and pen. Where is my part in this? Why am I so upset about this resentment? And, you know, as soon as you find your part in a resentment, it's a burden lifts off your shoulder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's literally when you first do that list and you're just yeah. like, wow, this is. But as soon as you start doing your part and you find your part in all of them, one thing after another just lifts and it's gone and you're yeah. free of it, especially when you do a five and you talk to your sponsor about your four. But still, sometimes now that I'm, you know, three years in, like, been through the steps, like, I will go to a four right away, and my five will be talking to my wife about it, you know, just talking to somebody about that. You're calling somebody, like, hey, I just had the craziest thing, and, you know, and that's now how I do a fourth and fifth step, and I do them as much as I can, because those resentments are silent killers, like, yeah. They caused me to use so many times out of spite. Like, oh, you upset me? Watch what I do to myself now. Like, <laughs> oh, you said this that hurt my feelings? I'm going to get high over it because you said yeah. that, and it's all your fault. And really, it's my fault. It's my yeah. choice. Yeah. And, you know, I've had to make a lot of amends when it comes to that kind of stuff and that behavior because our behaviors are all the same. You know, yeah. whether you're an alcoholic or a pill addict, I interviewed um, a guy addicted to porn. Um, yeah. Last week was my episode, and even his behaviors addicted to porn mirrored yeah. mine addicted to pills, like stealing yeah. from his job to have cash to buy magazines because his wife shut off everything else. Yeah, you know, and that was like his way of still getting his getting porn was stealing money to do it. And he got sober in like, sober. He stopped by going to AA. And CA meetings, Cocaine Anonymous, because there wasn't enough SA meetings in Kansas where he was living. So, and he actually said COVID helped him because he got into, like, because I guess with porn especially, you watch that in the middle of the night, right? That's, like, what he would do. So instead, when he would wake up and not be able to sleep, he would go on to a Zoom meeting and just watch the Zoom meetings until he passed out again. Wow, nice. So that that was, like... Yeah, and I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't even think, like, that was probably a blessing that you had, though, because Zoom meetings weren't a, I was telling him, I'm like, Zoom meetings weren't a thing pre-COVID, like, that would be, like, so against AA to do a meeting online, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's, like, (laughs) against the culture, for sure, yeah. Even talking about recovery on podcasting, they were like, oh, you shouldn't do that, you know, it's kind of a, and now everyone's like, no, recovery needs to be talked about. People need to know that there's hope. Just talk about it. Like, it needs to be out there. We need to have people seeing this to know that it isn't impossible to get out of it, that you can be in your 30s and yep. figure this shit out if you wanted to. Like, mm-hmm. when 
you want it to happen, it can happen. But you can't sit around and wait for it to happen. No one's going to do it for you. No, you know, they're going to beg you to go, but they're not going to be able to make you sit and learn and listen and look at yourself honestly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just a hard thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it. Yeah, definitely one of the hardest things I ever did do. And I mean, the losing the friendships was something that surprised me, you know, um, where you'd get stopped being invited to stuff. You know, you would stop like being in the circle. Um, you know, it's hurtful because, you know, these are, you know, a lot of times it's your friends you've grown up a long time with, but they're still, you know, they're still down that path where, you know, because when you're in that world, you kind of gravitate towards people who are in that world, right? But um, when you get off that train station, they're, they're going to still keep on going. And, yep. um, and in Wisconsin, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's just part of it. You know, it's just like a cultural thing that just. Yeah, I had to cut off, uh, you know, somebody that I've been friends with since we were seven years old, like last week. Yeah. <clears throat> because like, I, I, he knows what I'm doing with my life, you know, mm-hmm. and he knows that I'm trying to help people get sober. And he's dealt with addictions and all that. And he kept calling me. I'm like, dude, I'm in meetings. Like, I can't talk. I'll talk to you later. Like, I'm sitting with my sponsee right now. And he was like, tell him Addy's for sale, Adderall. And I'm mm-hmm. like, tell him Addy's for sale. Bro, he is coming off meth. Like, yeah. you have no respect for what I'm doing, obviously, yeah. if you're going to even joke or yeah. even be serious about something like that. It's not yeah. funny. People are dying. And I don't want to have any more conversations with you. And I blocked him from contact because, you know what, we had a lot of amazing times in our friendship, amazing times, and but we're different people now. Yeah. We're different. 30, we're almost going to be 35, you know, in September, I'll be 35. And I don't need that in my life at 35. I want, I want people like you, like my wife, (laughs) people that come to meetings that want to help other people that want to inspire other people that want to be able to live without substances and show people that it's possible, you know, give some hope. What do you think is the the toughest thing? You know, you have a clinic, obviously you're meeting with people who are pretty fresh all the time. Like, what would you say is like the hardest thing to, to get them on the straightened path? Cause I mean, I, it's, it's like almost, I mean, they call it steps for a reason. I mean, some people are in different places than others, but like, so I, one of the first things with my therapist that we had a breakthrough was my character defects. Mm-hmm. Like I did not want to drop my manipulation tactics. I, 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 she said, you're a master manipulator. And I said, I'm a great salesman. And she was like, no, that's what you say, but you are a master manipulator. And I was like, okay, how can I keep that defect? Cause I, I feel like it helps me in business. And she was like, okay, if you can manipulate people that's not self-serving you, then it'll be okay. If you're manipulating them to help them and not help yourself, then that will be okay to me. So that's my biggest thing. I have a sponsee now. He's fresh off meth, 15 years, 31 in rehab. So he gravitated to me because of 31 in rehab and um, started drinking at eight, started using meth in his teens, like 13. So, and going hard ever since. In jail, still went hard. It didn't matter. And um, so now, like, he got a Vivitrol shot, right? And he's he's self-admitted I'm an alcoholic. Um, We're on step three together. And, 
you know, we're sitting around and I was like, that's really cool. I took him to get his Vivitrol shot. Like I went with him. He was excited to get it because then he knew he couldn't drink. And then it hit me. I was reading something and I was like, shit, everybody gravitates to meth when they get Vivitrol shots because meth isn't, you know, like that. And it is more of a mind, not a body. So I was like, how do I, I got to like remind him and to make sure that he, because he's going to know that. He has to know that. If I know that, yeah. then there's no way yeah. he doesn't know that. Yeah. So I, I said that I, I like to have people have their own thoughts, but guide them to their thoughts. Yeah. You know, like for him, I was like, oh, man, you're Vivitrol. How have you been with not drinking? He goes, oh, I don't need to drink at all. Actually, the urges and cravings have even gone down. And I see him twice a day for meetings. He's coming to two a day. And um, I was like, oh, yeah, you know what? Like, isn't that like where some people go to meth and they because it doesn't show up? And he was like, yeah, you can actually use meth, and I don't want to, don't worry. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I'm glad you don't want to. But aren't they putting fentanyl on meth now? And yeah. it hit him. And he was like, oh, shit, if I do meth, I will get sick from the Vivitrol because of the opiate of fentanyl being in there. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I didn't even think of that. Like, I did. I yeah. was leading yeah. in the water, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. I find it easy to let addicts that are new in recovery make their own answers because then they're going to be more behind it. They're going to be more supportive of themselves because they found that answer themselves, as opposed to me saying, don't do that. You got to do this. That didn't work for me. That you have to, you know, feel like good about yourself, have pride and, you know, in your sobriety. So I find it best to let them find their answers. And if I have to lead them sometimes, then I will. You know, I'll come up with ways to lead somebody to their answers that I want them to have without being like pushy about it and push them out the door, basically. And he even then said and he took it a step further. He was like, I didn't even realize that, you know, I had such a tolerance to fentanyl at the end. And I'm like, yeah, bro. Like, when was this time you tried to quit and re and, you know, and you relapsed? And he was like five years ago. And I was like, it was fentanyl around then. And he was like, no. I'm like, all right, so now you have a tolerance to fentanyl, and -hmm. if you were to go back to using meth, you're going to get shot or hit with that much fentanyl, and you'll probably die because you don't have a tolerance anymore, and you had Mm -hmm. it built up for so long then. And he was like, man, I didn't even think of that either, you know? And again, I let him come up with it and find it because I did not want it. He's already been pushed before, and it didn't work. Yeah. He was pushed to do things when he would go into um, AA meetings in jail and said, you have to do this. And it's always you have to, you have to. And whenever you tell an addict who's new in recovery, you have to, it's like, fuck off. I don't have to do shit. Yeah. I don't want to do anything. I don't have to. And then you get really spiteful and you don't want to do anything just out of pure spite. We're very yeah. spiteful people, addicts. You know what oh, I yeah. mean? <laughs> so I honestly, I thought about writing a book about spite. Because uh, I I think about spite all the time. <laughs> I still, I, it's one of my defects that I didn't want to drop. And my therapist just kept shaking her head. And my sponsor would shake their head at me. And I'm like, I I just like it sometimes. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I find yeah, it's joy in it sometimes. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, I'm like, listen, I'm not going to be a perfect person. You know, yeah, I am not going to. I'm spiting my brother right now. I haven't talked to him Same. in a few weeks. Because I, he, he's... I mean, it's not that, like he's he's like a good person and didn't do anything bad, but I'm spiting him because he's just I don't know it's something that we got into a fight about just ra- randomly. So yeah, yeah, the spite the spite is a huge factor, that's for sure. 
Yeah, it's something that, you know, we don't want to let go. It's one of my last defects, and I, I said it. That's the last defect I'll let go of, you know. Mm-hmm. And what's that, step seven, right? That is dropping your character defects or whatever. And yeah. six or seven. Uh, it's been a long day already. Um, but, yeah, it was like the, the spitefulness, like, it kind of runs in my family. We're kind of yeah. good at it. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, and it's as long as I'm not hurting anybody with it and just me wanting to have some kind of bad behavior, I'm not going to be perfect. I don't mm-hmm. claim to be perfect. My meeting center is called Progress Not Perfection because yeah. that's what, you know, it's from the big, it's, you know, chapter four. Yeah. <clears throat> chapter yeah. five, chapter five, chapter five, how it works. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we strive for spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. Yeah. And that yeah, was the our, first our, our group about rehab. Yeah, our group says that uh, um, we say that chapter every uh, at the beginning of every meeting. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Same with L.A. When I was in L.A., they're like, all right, in Southern California tradition to read a portion from chapter five, how it works. And yep. J.D., you're reading. And I knew every word to that shit because they had me read yeah. it. You know, every day because they knew I didn't mind being in front of a crowd and talking yeah. because of my stand-up background and I like to make jokes and everything so I would go up there and read how it works every night and I got the PA and they're like oh we don't read that here damn it that's my favorite part of the meeting was reading yeah. how it works yeah you know? that, that's that's yeah I, I think it's the best especially for new people because you know they see that as like a I think a stabilizing force and, you know, like, and I think it's pretty accessible for new people too. like, it sets the stage of like, we are not pushing a religion on you. We are not doing these things. It's, it's about these simple progress, like you said. And um, yeah, yeah, I like, think it's, we it's very like, strong. Yeah. Like I did not want to believe in God or call him God or anything because yeah. I grew up Catholic and it just, it, I just had a bad taste in my mouth from it. And I yeah. just didn't, I didn't feel comfortable. So, yeah. you know, they're like, I don't care if it's a doorknob. Just pick something. So yeah. I picked Bill Murray. Bill Murray is now my higher power. <laughs> and, like, I, I have, like, a, my friend is an artist, and I had, I commissioned her to do, like, one of those Jesus ones, like, in the air, but with Bill Murray's face. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have that up in my yeah. podcast studio in my office. Like, that's, like, Bill Murray's my guy. He has what I want, yeah. you know? Yeah. So why not make that? Because that's the whole point of this. And just uh, I like to have fun with it, you know, because if I'm not having fun, I'm not going to enjoy sobriety. Yeah, I'm not going to enjoy going to meetings and talking to people, meeting new people, even like this. You know, I just I find ways to enjoy sobriety now. And whether yeah. it's talk to some stranger for an hour that I met yeah. online, <laughs> talk to people that want to come into meetings and see us, you know, I enjoy all of that. And I I think it's important to enjoy sobriety as much as you enjoyed addiction yeah because yeah, there's I mean, a lot of and, addiction to be enjoyed yeah i mean people who are not sober can't fathom a life where you're actually happier and better off than when you're using or whatever like that's people can't fathom that like how are you supposed to have fun if you're not wasted like yeah how is that even possible like why would you like <laughs> you know like yeah i laugh more now than i've ever laughed you know like you know looking back like when i was young i i was always happy go lucky all these things but like when i was in my 20s i was just a miserable son of a bitch you know all the time and um now that i don't anymore i 
I'm living the clean life. I'm happier as I've ever been, you know? So, yeah, um, that's amazing. It just, that they just, people just don't, um, people can't comprehend it. Their, their minds, like the gears literally can't turn to, to file. Yeah. But it's, it's definitely impossible. I mean, COVID was a horrible year for a lot of people, but I had one of the best years of my life. Yeah. And I didn't leave the house at all. And everyone could have died at any point. I was high risk. My wife's high risk. She has MS, yeah. you know, and I'm high risk, 20 year smoker, overweight and the whole yeah. list of things. And, you know, I just I still had the best year of my life and I was sober completely. And mm -hmm. we had fun. We found ways to have fun nice. and find your joy because, you know, finding your joy in alcohol or drugs is just supplementing. Yeah. And it's an aid. You can be happy and have great fun days in sobriety, yeah. you know. So, but I'm glad that you we both got some time. You know, we've both yeah. got you know three four years now, and yeah, you know sure. definitely further away now. We can help other people, and you know, even if it's helping one person or this is a meeting. You know, you didn't yeah. hit a meeting this week. This is a meeting. Yeah. One one. You know that. Whenever two alcoholics are talking, it's a meeting. <laughs> yeah, so. You know, we're just not going through the whole big book, but it's basically that's what a meeting is: two alcoholics talking together. Yeah. So that's why I love doing this kind of thing because I get to hear different stories from different parts of the country. I'm hoping to get. I talked to somebody from New Zealand that I'm supposed to interview, and I oh, want to cool. hear her story in New Zealand. You know. Nice. So yeah, it's really cool. I'm so glad that this shit's a lot easier now to talk to people. So I appreciate your time, man. Um, yeah. And do you have a podcast you want to plug or anything? Well, I, I um, well, I, I'll plug this. It's uh, it's a book that I wrote. I'll just, I'll just put oh, it up yeah. here. Yeah, it's called um, it's called Political Acceptance. Um, so the first, like the first quarter of like the first essay of the book talks about my uh, experience in AA. So I mean, the the book is about denial. Um, so you know, I was in denial of you know alcoholism and all that. So that like the first part of the book is kind of explaining that and kind of like my journey in AA a little bit. And then the rest of the book is explaining like different areas of my life that I was also in denial about that I do some exploring in. So different like political issues that I was uh, in denial about. So uh, it's kind of a cool book that um, you know, it took me a few years to write, um, but yeah, I, I wrote it for, actually I wrote it for my daughter as just, it was kind of almost like a, it was almost like a, a, a long, I started it as like almost like a long will because I thought I was going to die, you know, but I ended up just turning it into a book and luckily it won't be a will anymore. But um, so, yeah, it, it took me a long time. It's it's called Political Acceptance, a Millennial Manifesto. And um, yeah, it's a super cool book. Uh, so if any of your listeners are listening, uh, I appreciate it if you check it out. Yeah, I'll even, um, if you want to send me the link, I can link it up into the YouTube, too. Okay, cool, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I'm really curious, what what political denial? So, well, so there's an essay on, like, all, all sorts of chapter, uh, all sorts of topics. So there's, the first one um, is welfare, then there's one on abortion, there's one on guns, there's one on climate change, there's one on race, there's one on healthcare. So there's, uh, like, different... So it's basically like personal stories about myself and I interject politics into it. So like the AA one, the first chapter of the book is on welfare. And 
I, I contrast how AA helps people in terms of like the openness, in terms of like how they go about helping people versus like our welfare system, which is not welcoming uh, at all. Um, they're trying to kick as many people off as they can. So like when I was on, like I got fired from a job, uh, rightfully so, uh, right? And I didn't have any money at all. So I went on unemployment. I didn't have any income or assets, so I went on food stamps. And I just talk about how, like, you know, at the time I had, like, I was, I had an MBA. I thought I was, like, a hot shot person. Like, I thought I was very capable. Like, my life was good. And here I am at the grocery store using food stamps. You know, I felt like just a complete piece of shit, right? And, like, the whole welfare process of, like, applying for it and getting it, like, it's just demeaning. Like, we demean it, people. No, I'm, we're on food stamps. You know what I mean? So I yeah. totally get, like... We, we wouldn't be able to feed ourselves or our kid without it. Yeah. But the process that you have to go through, it's like they want you to feel like a shithead the entire time so that you're yeah. so embarrassed that you don't even go through with it. That's that's exactly that's what I talk about in this chapter is like it's it's bullshit. Like they they're they want to demean you. a bumpy road of sobriety because yeah. like you need that acceptance to be able to move on from our past our yeah. past happened there is literally nothing we can do about it yeah however we can learn lessons from it you know mm -hmm. we can be better people because of it without yeah. the path that i went down you know if i would have got sober at 25 who's to say i'd even be doing this at 35 yeah you know i needed those years to be able to do this now yeah. You know, and it is what it is that yeah. I you can find the positive in anything just like you can find the negative in anything. Yeah. You know, like I always say that happiness is a choice. You can wake mm -hmm. up and you can choose to be happy. You can wake up and be like, oh, shit, it's raining. It's going to be a horrible day. You can find all the things to complain about in your head before yeah. you even get out of bed. You're taking that energy with you or you can wake up and be like, oh, it's raining. Cool. It's going to cool down. The flowers are going to get watered. And, you know, I'll take my time getting out of bed, you know, because it's rain. I like hearing the sound of rain. You're getting out of bed with that energy. Yeah. You take that energy with you. You've made that choice to be upset about it or be happy about it. In mm -hmm. traffic, you can be upset about it or you can find ways to find happiness in it, you know, because happiness is not a feeling. It is a choice that we consciously make. Yeah. And, you know, the, you know, I didn't know that until I was 31 years old. I also didn't know what gratitude meant. I yeah. thought that people only said the word grateful and Thanksgiving. Yeah. And the way people say they're grateful all year round. I just thought that was like a Thanksgiving. Word. Yeah, that's that's the hard <laughs> one. I mean, I think I think people like gratefulness and acceptance kind of go hand in hand. And like sometimes you'll have one or the other, but you really want both. You know, like the gratefulness. There was a period in my sobriety at, at like the two year mark. I was really grateful. Like I was so fucking grateful that I was not like, I was so fucking grateful that I was sober. Like, like I look at the people around me and I'm just like, God damn it. Your life's fucking sucking. God damn it. I'm grateful that I got really lucky. 
Um, it, do, it does it does come and go, though, and it's something like, you know, the progress, not perfection. Like, that's something that I still need to work on because, like, by any, like, numerical standard, like, my life is really fucking good. I've got two healthy, beautiful kids who love me, a beautiful wife. She makes a ton of money, so, like, she can support the family while I'm trying to figure out my career, like, we live in a beautiful house. I still have good friends, like, but I'm still not grateful sometimes, you know, and like the gratefulness is something that like you need to have, because if you don't, if you don't have that, if you can't maintain it, like you fall down that slippery slope back into like. Have you actually ever looked up the definition of perfect or perfection? No, what like, is it? I don't know off the top of my head, but it's about perception. You know, yeah. perfect and being perfect is your perception. Yeah. No one can tell you what your perfect is. Yeah. People have higher bars or lower bars or ceilings, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you can be perfect if you choose to accept what yeah. you have now as perfection. Yeah. You know, that's the real crazy thing. Like, we can say that our lives are perfect right now if we're choosing to say, this is my ceiling, this is my perfection, this is what I strive for, this is yeah. what I wanted, a happy family. And to not want or need for much and to be able to help people, this is fucking perfect to me right now. Yeah. And to not get all caught up on what somebody on Instagram's version, like The Rock, what his perfection is. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah. I'm not going to be, you know, making $75 million a year like The Rock is. Yeah. Like, that's his perfection. Those, those are all different things. You can't compare your perfection with somebody else's because yeah. we're all going to have different variations of it. And no one can tell you what perfection is. Because it's up to us to decide on what we deem that is perfect or this is horrible. This is a bad thing. This is a good thing. These are all choices that we're making. I mean, and choices are even a funny thing. I read somewhere, how many choices do you think we make in a daily, like, in a day? I don't know, man. It's got to be a lot. 30 to 35,000. Wow. Jeez. Even yeah. just spinning in your chair is a choice. Yeah. You know? fixing this, doing like anything that there's so yeah. many little things. So why were we going to beat ourselves up over one choice in a day yeah. when we made so many other good ones? And again, it's about perception, looking mm-hmm. at bigger pictures, you know, stepping outside yourself and being self-aware. You know, these are all things that like keep me sober because yeah, they would sure. all take me out into addiction again if I wasn't so looking at things so often because my mind races so fucking much that I constantly have to remind myself of all of these things. Yeah. So, but that's awesome. They wrote a book on acceptance because again, that's like my shit, you know, Yeah. I'm talking about acceptance. Yeah. It, it took a long time because, uh, you know, there's a lot of things people are in denial of. So there's, I'd say like 75% of the book is about things that I was on denial of. And then 25% is on what I see other people are in denial of. Um, so yeah, it, it, the book is, the the book is pretty entertaining, I would say. Um, so it's full of kind of yeah, some fun I'm stories. Yeah, great talking to you, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure, time. man. I give you a lot of credit for starting that thing, man. It's something that I would love to do, like just have, like own like a house, you know, even like a halfway house almost. I'd love to do yeah. something like that. Yeah, it's not, it's not as hard as you think. Get it, yeah. find us, find a, find a small space to rent and put up flyers, Facebook ads, whatever. And, you know. It, it happens really quick and i'm you know we all talk about it in meetings all the time i wish i had my meeting space I, yeah. if i had a meeting space i would do this different so yeah. i was tired of talking about it 
That's all. They eventually get tired of talking about you do it yourself. That's awesome, man. COVID taught me that. <laughs> just do it yourself. Don't wait for anybody else to do it. So well, keep learn. in touch, man, and just oh, I guess let bro. me know when it when you post it. I'll I'll post it to my social stuff. Twenty, we both on thirty-one. That magic number. I know. I I was so happy when you said that. Just because, and then my sponsee now is thirty-one. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, you get it yeah, when I you don't... get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're thirty-five now, then too. So I'll you, be thirty-five you're... in September. Okay, so we're both born in '86 too. That's funny. So. Yep. Yep. And I grad. What year did you graduate high school? Uh, 2004. So you might be a year. I was 05. Yeah. 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 I should have been 04 though. I made the cutoff by two days. Oh, and okay. My mom, my mom was like, "No, I'm just gonna wait a year because I was the oldest, so she didn't want to send me anyway right away." Yeah. So I went from being one of the youngest, and I and as opposed to none, I was one of the oldest. Yeah. So it worked out. I was still friends with all those people anyway. You know, that yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, especially when my drinking years, like I was uh-huh. a teenager. So <laughs> in New Jersey, it was, yeah, you know, like Wisconsin, we had nothing else to do but drink in the woods. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, but all right, buddy, I'll talk to you, man. Have a good all night. All right, man. Good luck. Right, Take it easy. Thanks, buddy. Thank you.